Welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and share. So this week marked the one-year anniversary of El Salvador adopting Bitcoin. And I think it's a great time to look back and see what effect the adoption has had on the country. We spend a lot of time thinking about and trying to predict where things will be in the future. But here we have an opportunity to look back on one of the most significant events in Bitcoin history. But first, there's some really big news coming out of the U.S. And Matt, if you don't mind, tell us about that, please. Yeah, so we uh, heard today that Fidelity, Citadel, and Charles Schwab are going to be launching a Bitcoin and crypto exchange. Um, and this is big news in the sense that you've got these three huge legacy financial institutions that have decided they want to have a separate exchange um, where their customers can buy Bitcoin and other crypto assets. So um, clearly this is a, an attempt for them to get market share from folks like Coinbase and Binance and Kraken and FTX and Gemini. Um, and it's really significant because you've got these, you know, what I'll call old school, longtime legacy institutions that are now saying we want to get into this game. Um, we see the opportunity there. We see that the asset class is big enough to make it worth our while to uh, be a broker in there. And, um, and so they're going to jump in. Mm -hmm. What I thought was interesting about this is that it wasn't Schwab saying, Hey, uh, just like you can buy stocks on our platform and Schwab, by the way, is TD Ameritrade. Also now they merged. Mm -hmm. I think they may just be called Charles Schwab, but it's, it's Schwab and what was TD Ameritrade. So it's bigger than just Charles Schwab. It's this new, uh, larger company. And so instead of just Charles Schwab, who's financial titan, announcing that they're going to do it, they teamed up with Citadel and Fidelity and a few other players. I think is Sequoia Capital part of this? I think Sequoia Capital. Sequoia is, there are a lot of investors kind of behind the scenes in this deal, mm -hmm. it seems like. Um, but yeah, there were uh, several other large ones that, that were mentioned. Sequoia, Paradigm, Virtue Financial. Um, all involved. So, so what you kind of had here on some levels are competitors. I'm sure they compete. I'm sure all these companies compete with each other in a number of areas, but you had all of these giants come together and, and sort of mount an attack against the, the three biggest established players, which you mentioned before. Right. Now you don't see that that often. I mean, we didn't see that in the smartphone area, like you didn't see Samsung and Sony and Panasonic all getting together to make a phone to compete with iPhone. Samsung had their phone. Um, you know, all the different suppliers had their own device. Sony had their own phone, et cetera. So I, I think it's really interesting that they joined together, joined forces, so to speak, to launch this really, this new service. 
Well, I would also imagine that there's some element of that that has to do with regulation, uh, meaning that if if they team up together, it's a much bigger monster to fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other things I thought was really interesting about this is that they're saying that the transactions we settled on the blockchain. So it's not just that they're going to be offering Bitcoin and other crypto trading services, but they're going to be using the blockchain to settle these, right? So they're using a new technology rather than just trading these new, we'll call these new digital assets, but using old technology to settle the transactions. Mm -hmm. They actually are talking about settling it on the blockchain and using some of the efficiencies of the blockchain uh, to keep a better ledger between all these different firms. Yeah, which is really smart because that's actually one of the biggest benefits of having a blockchain um, is that it's self-audited and transparent and verifiable. So um, if you're buying Bitcoin, for example, on this exchange and it settles on chain, you can check that transaction uh, independently, make sure that everything went through and you're not uh, relying on IOUs to the same extent that you are in a lot of these other situations. Mm -hmm. There are also a couple of quotes I'd like to read uh, from this article here. Yeah. It says, crypto is a $1 trillion global asset class with over 300 billion participants and pent-up demand from millions more, said EDXM's board of directors. Yeah, and I don't so, think we mentioned that EDXM is the name of the exchange that they're going to launch. Correct, correct. Although, is that really what they're going to call it, EDXM? Like, that's that's the name they're going to give it? We. Yeah, EDX Markets is what EDX they're... Markets, okay. And I guess people call it EDXM. So, I, I, I think it's worth kind of reiterating that that crypto is a this is according to them crypto is a one trillion dollar global asset class with over 300 million participants and this is the part i thought was interesting mm -hmm. and pent up demand from millions more right that's implying that there are millions of people who want to buy these assets that can't mm -hmm. they can't currently and so now mm -hmm. they'll be able to so um you know that's uh, that's very that's a very bullish position to take. That you're launching this thing uh, under the assumption that all of these people who couldn't previously get to these assets will now be buying it. That's uh, that can only help. Right. I mean, they're they're putting this in their press release. This pent up demand from millions more people. And then it goes on. It says unlocking this demand requires a platform that can meet the needs of both retail traders and institutional investors with high compliance and security standards. Yeah, it's uh it's a serious announcement. This is uh I think I think it'll be interesting to see where this EDX market lands, but I could see it being very big very fast. Mhm. Mm Part of me thinks that this we're so jaded by all the things that we're seeing. Because news like this, and I know Bitcoin was down a bit today because of the the inflation report, right? But but news like uh, absent that news like this hitting the Bitcoin market should move Bitcoin up like minimum of ten percent, in my opinion. If 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 you're talking about the price really reflecting what's going on with the asset class, but because we're seeing things 
we're seeing these really, really huge stories. And what is a story sort of at 30,000 feet? This story at 30,000 feet is some of the largest financial institutions in the United States and the world for that matter world. Yeah. are joining together to create a new exchange for Bitcoin and other digital assets. And they're talking about having demand, pent up demand from millions of people. And I don't doubt it. I, I, I'm willing to bet that there are a lot of people, a lot of people who are not comfortable with using Coinbase. And there are even more people who are not comfortable using Binance. Absolutely. And FTX, I, I don't have a comment on, but I can guarantee you there are people that are not com comfortable using FTX. I've never heard of it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I can trust it. Mm -hmm. Just a trust factor is is huge. And so to have Fidelity and Schwab and also these other, I don't know what the right term is for them, these, these other big financial titans, that's really what they are. Mm -hmm. These are like just some of the biggest names in in finance. They may not have, some of them may not have a lot of consumer facing things, but Sequoia Capitals monster so th this news is really we, we've said before on the show the world's adopted bitcoin they just don't realize it yet right i, I think this fits into that category yeah and, and i think you, you know you made the point earlier that the that the price of bitcoin went down um today because of the inflation news and that's just another you know it just shows the general lack of understanding of what it is um if if people truly understood what it was then you would see the price going up when there were unfavorable inflation announcements mm -hmm. um but because right now it's tied to the stock market um as a as more of a risk on asset um this is what happens and so i think you know in order to bring the knowledge of what it is to a massive amount of people um, it's going to take these types of respected institutions to uh, to get behind it. I, I think that they know that their customer – I got two things on this. One, I think they know their customer base is probably going to put – and I'm speculating here – 1% to 2% of their assets in this on a, on a global scale, right? Some people obviously put 70% of their assets in it. Some people put 0%. I, I don't know. I just feel that um, – that statement of pent up demand coming from these kind of conservative institutions, I understand a bit of it can be, you know, kind of a sales pitch. We get it. It's a press release. It's not, uh, it's not being graded by anybody. It's not being peer reviewed or anything. And you want to promote what you're doing, but still, I think that is really significant. And, and we know the demand is out there. We're seeing this on a worldwide scale we yeah, have a story tonight from other countries that are that all have the exact same position but but to your point um I, I was googling while you were talking that you know citadel and schwab and fidelity roughly just with quick google searches have you know around 13 trillion dollars of assets under management so you know if you're talking about even if you're only talking about one percent um, you're talking about a really significant number. It's huge. And, and there's something else that I, I'd like to mention here, which is the efficient market hypothesis. So I was actually having this discussion with someone at lunch today, just talking about how irrational the markets are. Mm -hmm. And 
and for people that do not know, the markets are irrational. There are probably be people that argue with me. That's fine. Um, but I've been watching the markets for two plus decades and they're always irrational. There are obviously rational times and, and they tend to kind of get things right long term. But on a day to day thing, they're pretty irrational. And so there's this theory called the efficient market hypothesis, which states that all known information is reflected in real time in every stock price, meaning everyone knows everything about Apple that there is to right. know. And all of that information is put into sort of a very large pool and the market gets a price right on at any given moment. And that's actually someone's hypothesis. I don't know whose it is. It's a terrible hypothesis because it's not accurate. Well, the it's reality- not. Yeah, it's proven to be wrong. And and if you take that hypothesis and you extrapolate it to Bitcoin, um, you can see that it's it completely fails when you understand just even the basic capabilities of Bitcoin as a as a payment rail. Um, you know, that's not reflected in the price. Um, so yes, I, I agree with you that um, the efficient market theory is uh, is not really well proven in my opinion. And um, I think there are elements of it that are true. I think sometimes um, you can point to certain amounts of information having, you know, been taken into account in a given market, but to be able to say that all known information is baked in is just, it's just not true. It's not true. And I agree. We're definitely not seeing with Bitcoin because the, one of the problems with Bitcoin is you need to understand Bitcoin and so few understand it. And, and anytime, just a proof of that, anytime that you get this bad inflation number, Bitcoin should go up because it doesn't inflate. That's kind of the point, or it's one of the points, is that it doesn't inflate. So the other, the, the other money that you're using to exchange for Bitcoin is essentially becoming worth less. Right. And, and the, the, one, the one counter to that that I'll make is that when you talk about CPI type of inflation, which is what came out today, um, that's less of what Bitcoin is designed to be a hedge against. Mm. Bitcoin is designed to be more of a hedge against money printing type of inflation, you know, mm. the expansion of the money supply. So, so I, I, I guess we can give it that um, if it was a, you know, but at the same time, um, we didn't see the price of Bitcoin go up significantly when there was recently announced that there was going to be a three to five hundred billion dollar student loan forgiveness program you know that type of news in a knowledgeable market would have made the price go up well that's the thing it's just simply not a knowledgeable market i don't know what the the market will be like let's say in like 10 years will it still be behind will it still not know much we don't know. I, I don't know how much the the average person will really understand Bitcoin in ten years. Bitcoin can be kind of tough to get your head around. Well, it's it's more about adoption and and it being used for actual. Um, I don't want to say day to day functions because it's not doesn't have to be used like that, but um, it needs to be more incorporated into people's daily lives um, in the same way that other assets are before, you know, you don't have to fully understand it to use it. Um, just Mm -hmm. like you don't have to, you don't 
necessarily know how your iPhone works, but you can use it pretty well. Uh, you also don't need to understand gold to know that gold has value because it's scarce. And, sure. and Bitcoin is about to be twice as scarce as Bitcoin. I'm sorry, Bitcoin is about to be twice as scarce as gold in 2024. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's big news in the U.S. markets. You want to uh, jump to the next story? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this was an opinion piece in Bitcoin Magazine. It was uh, interesting by Jaime Garcia about one year later, the success of making Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador. And, and this article was really kind of focusing on what's happened um, in El Salvador since they made the announcement last year that they were adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, and I think, was it was it September 7th last year that, it, that the law went into effect? I believe so. 7th yes. or 8th, somewhere around there. Somewhere there. Mm -hmm. I know I bought a little bit of Bitcoin that day, symbolically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I think that if we're going to be intellectually honest, we have to point out that this did not go as expected. 100%. So I would say that the overall adoption, well, well the, the wallet rollout went poorly, but to me that actually went as expected because you're never going to roll out a piece of software like that and have it work. So I know some people got upset that the wallet rollout didn't work well, but that's new software. And, you know, that's, that's kind of par for the course, sure. but, but with that, you could say, okay, well, the rollout was bad. How's the overall adoption? And I don't have, I don't think there's really great over, you know, adoption numbers that we can rely on, but I would say that, that we can all agree that it has not hit the targets that we would have hoped for a year ago. Uh, also they were supposed to have this big bond offering and Naya Bukele was supposed to come to the Bitcoin conference. He was one of the featured speakers. And then at the conference, they announced he's not going to show up and they were also going to have these bonds. And it was going to be a thing where if you bought enough in their bonds, you would have a, like, I don't know if it was a passport or like a residency or some mm -hmm. type of citizenship for El Salvador. And we were told, well, the bonds are just going to be delayed until this month. And then it was that month. And now it is middle of September and we still have no news on the bonds. And let's be serious. They're probably not going to come out this year. We don't know what those issues are. Mm -hmm. uh, I would also say that El Salvador has taken a lot of heat for what's happened, particularly what's happened with the Bitcoin price. Like, oh, you invested this money, you, you bought, mm -hmm. you know, your country spent this money buying Bitcoin. Now that Bitcoin is worth, I think they started buying was it like 30. So they've lost like a third on it or so. Yeah, yeah. And so there's certainly, there are certainly arguments to be made here of why this didn't go well. And I think those are reasonable, but we haven't talked about what what did happen to El Salvador a year later. What were some of the positives? And I'd like to know what you thought one of the one or first or second biggest positives that that came out of this. Well, I think you know the the obvious one is the tourism increase. Um, you know, that's there's been a thirty percent increase in tourism there, GDP increase. Um, up 10.3% in the past year. You know, I believe it was the first time in El Salvador's history where they had double digit GDP growth year over year. Mm -hmm. um, 
But what I found probably the most interesting was that, you know, one of the one of the things that they touted about this Bitcoin law was that it was going to uh, really make remittances cheaper and more efficient for people who are working outside of El Salvador and sending money back to their families there. And that number was only up about 3.3% over the last year. What I think was really drastically different though, was that they're up almost double, like 70.2% year over year in remittances coming into the country for investment purposes. So for people who aren't El Salvadorans that aren't, you know, remitting their own wages back to their families, these are people that are third parties putting money into the El Salvador economy Mm -hmm. uh, voluntarily. So I think that to me was very significant because what it tells you is that there's more infrastructure being built. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, and I agree with all that. I think that we've seen a number of, of interesting things come out of El Salvador, but I think that to me, the, one of the biggest things that came out of it was it put El Salvador on the world stage. El Salvador is a country that I don't think most people knew much about. I don't think most people know much about it now, but, but it never it was El Salvador was never in the news. Maybe there was like right. a gang killing or some kind of weird right. thing you, going if, on If there. you asked me, if you asked me two years ago, three years ago, what do you know about El Salvador? And I would say not much, but I think it's pretty dangerous there. Same, same. And so what they've done now is that El Salvador is being discussed. It's being discussed on the world stage. Part of the discussion is what's it like for a country to have adopted Bitcoin? Because whatever you want to say about El Salvador, at this point, we can say they were the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin. How that plays out 20 years from now, we don't know. Mm -hmm. But they were the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin. And they did not have a financial apocalypse. Things worked out fine. Actually, they didn't work out fine. They worked out great. I think so. And there was a um, there was a quote, and I, I think it was in the article, um, or maybe I saw it on Twitter, but it was something along the lines of it's you know it's it's very easy to overestimate what you're going to accomplish in one year, and really easy to underestimate what you're going to accomplish in ten years. So, I think mm-hmm. you know that th- mm-hmm. that's a really you know salient point to make here, which is that. When you announce it, you've got all this uh, enthusiasm around the idea. It's the first legal tender country. They're going to build a Bitcoin economy. And, you know, within the first year, people are already saying it failed. And, and while it didn't go perfectly and there are things that maybe, you know, aren't as good as they were a year ago, there are a lot of things that are better. And the point is that let's wait and see what happens 10 years from now if you continue to see this kind of uh, economic growth, just in terms of their GDP, if you see more people going there uh, on vacation as a destination, if they uh, continue to raise investment dollars that are, that's going to you know, push it further into the modern world. Um, those are all things that would never be realized within a year. We're talking multiple years, you know, probably a decade before you can really look back and say, did this, you know, succeed or fail? Mm -hmm. Well, I would, 
kind of argue with that. I think this has been a huge success. I think it's very, very difficult to look at this and, and not say it was a huge success. Just a couple of metrics, a couple of metrics you mentioned. Their GDP is up 10%. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's up 10%. Uh, I guess that was 2021. Yep. Okay. How did their GDP growth compare to the rest of the world? Do you know? I don't know, but I can probably find out. I think it's right up there with some of the best growth that we've seen from any country. And then let's talk about tourism. Tourism up 30%. That's like iPhone kind of growth in early iPhone stages where they're mm-hmm. you know, 30% more by each year. I mean, keep in mind that three years in a row of 30% growth is massive. Even two years in a row of 30% growth is really massive. So, mm-hmm. so 30% increase in tourism means that a lot of outside money is coming in and being spent there. Right. And, and, and by the way, I did look this up and, um, it's not apples to apples totally, but when you look at the, the countries in the world that, you know, have high rates of GDP growth, say, you know, above 10% and, you know, or the top 10, these are all countries that, you know, it's probably a lot easier for them to get, uh, double digit growth because they're not that big to begin with. We're talking about, you know, Honduras, Peru, Bahamas, Panama, um, Libya. So, you know, we're not, we're talking about much smaller economies. And so I think to put, but to put El Salvador's GDP growth in the context of those same countries is, uh, is I would say that's a big upgrade for El Salvador. That's the thing is that what it's, regardless of the Bitcoin part, regardless of how the, the whole Bitcoin experiment plays out. And I think we can see it's playing out great, but regardless of what ends up happening with it, this has been a net benefit, a significant net benefit to El Salvador. I think it's difficult to argue against that. You can say that things didn't go right because things didn't go right, but you have to add up all the positives and all the mm-hmm. negatives together and say, is this a net benefit or is this a net loss? And I think if you say that this is a net loss, I think if you argue that this is a net loss for El Salvador, then you're not being, you're either not intellectually honest um, or you just, you're not putting all of the facts together. You're not adding up all the pluses and minuses correctly. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, I think it's really overall, it's incredibly impressive what's happened there in the past year. Mm-hmm. And I could argue once again, I'm going to go back to something I said before, which on the fidelity Schwab and the Schwab news is that when you have this fidelity Schwab news and then you see what's happened to this country that was like a lost country, a forgotten country, almost no offense to El Salvador, but you see what's happened to them after one year in this grand experiment. And the, the things that you're pointing to are, are very minor compared to the gains the country had. One of the, the, I know one of the things they talk about is the country lost money. People love to say the country bought this Bitcoin, they lost money. And I don't know what the country lost. Maybe a hundred million. Well, I'm, I'm not sure what the what. Well, first they lost nothing because they haven't sold anything. But again, those are those are the same people that are basing their opinion of Bitcoin on the price of Bitcoin. They're also people that get paid to say things that certain people naysayers. want them to say. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are people that get paid to 
you know, to be naysayers or to be cheerleaders. I mean, there, there are people in the press that are paid to have a position and that's been around since the beginning of time. It's never sure. going to change. So you just need to be careful when you're reading an article. Is this person being, is this person really thoughtful and intellectually honest or, you know, are they maybe a bit ignorant and, or being paid to come up with a position that is somewhat ridiculous? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, anything else on El Salvador? Should we move on? Uh, I don't have anything else. I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think that's going to take time to digest just the significance of it. And I think we're going to continue to see it evolve. And, uh, I'm really curious what year two brings for El Salvador. You know, do they continue the momentum? You know, what kind of roadblocks are there now the kind of the rubber hits the road and they have to start implementing some things like their, uh, volcano mining. How does that go? Sure. Are they actually going to be able to use free energy or stranded energy to mine Bitcoin? Can they prove this concept? And I think that would be significant. And also are they going to build a bunch of like, you know, tourist you know, villas and, you know, um, tourist, uh, More houses, Bitcoin condos. beaches, yeah, yeah Bitcoin yeah. beaches. Um, you know, is that going to continue? Are people going to really invest in the tourism there? Well, and yeah. and and they're they're on the beach, sure. So well, it's good real estate. Yeah, and and maybe one last thing I'll mention is that the other thing that is more of an intangible, although you could probably research it and 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 verify it. But how many other jurisdictions decided that they were going to do something with Bitcoin, whether that's setting up other economic zones, whether it's the Central African Republic, whoever it is, how many of those um, ventures would have been taken on if El Salvador didn't do this a year ago? And I think that that part of it is that it's a catalyst for other places to do similar things. And the more of those things that happen, the more adoption we see. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I didn't really think of that, that it's, it's definitely affected other countries in the world. And I think we see that sort of all over, not just with what El Salvador is doing. Yeah. But, you know, but, again, but I, but I think that this has really, well, I shouldn't say that we see that all over. I, I, there's there's a couple of stories tonight which I think were somewhat influenced by El Salvador and what people saw happening there, particularly. Well, uh, I don't know where I, we have a story on Bahrain, and I, I feel like they were influenced when I read yeah, I think, what was going on there by El Salvador. I think that's the next one, but yeah, and and the point was that I'm sure you could talk to people in these places and ask them if if El Salvador impacted their decision to do this. And I, I think you would find a lot of them would say absolutely. Yes. So, um, let's go on. So here, yeah. The central bank of Bahrain, um, in conjunction with open node is going to be testing Bitcoin payments through their central bank. So I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, by the way, another article from Sean Amick over at Bitcoin Magazine. We tend to talk about a lot of his his articles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so w- what I thought was interesting about this was, it, this is the article that I thought was uh, 
sort of influenced by El Salvador or this mm -hmm. move was influenced by El Salvador. And I guess Bahrain is a central bank. I don't think El Salvador has a central bank. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is the first time that I can remember hearing about a central bank and the adoption of Bitcoin. Yeah. I, what I think was interesting about this is that, and it is a lightning uh, mm -hmm. story, meaning that they're not saying that they're making Bitcoin legal tender. They're saying that we've got a payment network, I guess. And, and I don't really, I don't know anything about Bahrain central bank, but you know, if it works like other central banks, what they're, what they're talking about is, you know, something maybe like the equivalent of the ACH network in the U S or um, some sort of electronic payment. That's, that's some, you know, decades old type of transmission transmittal service for payments um, payment rails, if you will, and that they're going to now test using the lightning network as those rails for the payments going through their bank. And mm -hmm. that's what I thought was significant about this is that, you know, first of all, we don't, like you said, we don't hear a whole lot about central banks doing anything with Bitcoin. Um, so I thought that that was significant. And then the fact that um, that they're going to be setting up this testing ground means that they're, um, you know, they want to innovate. They want to come up with with novel ways to make payments through their banking system that don't exist today. So I think that both of those are, you know, really positive. Mm -hmm. And and I want to read a couple quotes from this article. Um, that kind of relate back to the El Salvador thing. So uh, it says open node intends to showcase Bitcoin's ability to strengthen the Bahrain economy and show why Bitcoin is synonymous with good business. So uh, the, the key point there was to show how it can strengthen Bahrain's, Bahrain's economy, much the same way that uh, Bitcoin strengthened El Salvador's economy. And again, later in the same article, it says Open Node intends to show the central bank that Bitcoin has the capacity to expand the Bahrain economy by strengthening businesses in the region. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if maybe Bahrain is looking to, you know, where, where El Salvador is sort of the kind of a bit of a Bitcoin hub for Central America, where if Bahrain is looking to do this in the Middle East, that they want to take more of a leadership role. And obviously here it looks like providing some kind of payment rails. We don't know how mm -hmm. exactly what the objective is, but it looks like maybe a bit of an attempt to, for Bahrain, which is like a kind of a small Island out yeah. the area. It's a, it's an Island, but they're there. I think they're, it's a fairly wealthy yeah. um, country and in their GDP is um, it's, somewhere in the it's you know 38 billion dollars something like that gdp mm -hmm. where you know el salvador i think is just under 25 you know 24 billion something like that so mm -hmm. it's significantly bigger than than el salvador um in terms of the size of their economy mm -hmm. and i think that there's probably just given the fact that it is a middle eastern country i believe there is you know significant oil money there um that there's also maybe um, not as much of 
you've got you've got higher GDP per capita, I guess is the, is the way to put it. Certainly. Um, so it, it once you know, I think that in one way, this article is just about Bahrain, Middle East. Middle East is getting involved in the game, and they are. This is a payment story mm-hmm. and a lightning story. Uh, this is not setting up an exchange story, right? Just to show the contrast. So I think this one's really interesting. We're going to see what kind of role they take with this and and how this one plays out. Well, yeah. And I just Googled this because I was, it was intriguing me. And the GDP per capita of Bahrain is uh, about eight times that of El Salvador. I'm going to, can I guess on the GDP per capita? I'm going to say Fifty-five thousand per person. Now you're about double. Oh, uh, twenty-seven thousand. Twenty-three thousand and okay. change um, for uh, Bahrain, and let you know thirty-eight hundred roughly for El Salvador. Wow, wow, big big difference there. Mm-hmm. So, um, what uh, what else? Anything else about Bahrain? I think you know. Again, it's uh, we haven't seen a ton coming out of the middle east in this sense i mean we hear stories about iran from time to time there's been i think we had a saudi arabia story but there's not a whole lot of significant news i think we hear more coming out of uh africa and latin america and parts of europe uh, much more than the middle east so i think Mm. uh this is a another uh another new country to add to our Mm. list of countries um that have done something along the lines of Bitcoin. Right. And if we just step back and say like, these countries are just adding up. I know we've got some, a couple more countries tonight. You just see that there's this, this worldwide adoption going on, even though most people do not know it. It's certainly yep. not reflected in the day-to-day news. You hear more about, you know, Bitcoin crashing or the Ethereum merge or whatever, but there's, there's the, all these things going on. They're just getting overlooked because they're just, I don't think they generate that many clicks. Sure. Um, all right. Well, let's go to the next country on that note. Um, Singapore. Singapore's largest bank is going to uh, expand their Bitcoin and other crypto services. Mm-hmm. And this is only so before we get into this one, mm-hmm. what we have in the same week is in the U.S. all of these financial titans getting together and creating this um, giant, we'll call it crypto exchange. Mm-hmm. And then you have this other country, Singapore, and it's their largest bank, not a bank in Singapore, but their largest bank to get into Bitcoin and crypto services. And But this is only for their uh, their richest customers. But still, right. what we're seeing is the the biggest players in each country. We've seen kind of a trend on this, and we've seen it in some other countries. The biggest players in each country are getting involved. Yeah, and and they're not an insignificant player. I mean, we're talking they're they're not clearly not as big as the largest U.S. or European banks, but you're talking about roughly half a trillion dollars in total assets. They have like 488 billion in mm-hmm. assets, which, you know, that would put them in the same category as like 
um, Bank of New York Mellon or Capital One Bank, you know, that uh, TD Bank, I think is about the same size. So um, these are not insignificant institutions when you think about them in terms of, um, you know, asset size. But uh, it's, it's, again, the biggest in the country. So it's, it's the equivalent of the biggest bank here declaring that they're going to get into this space. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Just amazing. I thought another interesting thing about this, if you look at the, um, if you're watching and you see the headline, um, a mid bear market, you know, they're going to expand mm-hmm. Bitcoin services, a mid bear market. And I thought that that was um, an interesting point to their announcement of it was that we're really excited about doing this, but we're also a little worried. Um, it was, it was an interesting kind of, dynamic in the way that that i interpreted that just that they you know it seems like they recognize the opportunity but they also recognize that um you know not everybody is going to think that this is a great thing and that you know there's going to be naysayers and they want to try to i guess you know spin their way out of that politically yeah i mean one of the things they said in this article was that this is the CEO of the bank. He said that um, the market downtrend influenced the bank's decision to expand its infrastructure due to a need for consumer protections. And that's, I think, what we're going to see for a lot of these banks, which mm-hmm. is like, okay, you know, you can't trust Coinbase, you can't trust FTX. You need us to to look after you in the same way we've looked after you in the past because the banks, we're here to protect you. It's all consumer protections. We're barely making a nickel off of all of our kindness to you and all of our care making sure that you're protected. Right. So they always talk about that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think it sells and I think – I think people need to feel very comfortable doing some of these things. I think while we advocate for Bitcoin self-custody, and if you understand Bitcoin, you you should self-custody, and there are a number of service providers that can provide easy self-custody. But for a lot of people, that's such a big change for the way that they would do anything. It's such a big change from the way they've thought of things in the past. And so I just think that they're comfortable if their bank... They just trust their bank. There are some people that, you know, if we're going to be honest, there are some people that don't really trust the banks that much or are not a big fan of the bank. But but people generally trust the banks. The banks in in most countries have a, well, if you don't trust the bank, the bank falls, the bank right. collapses. If there's a bank that people didn't trust, the, the, the bank is, is done. People will withdraw their money and there's no more banks. So I think these things are really neat. And I think that, Singapore jumping into the game with their largest bank. And I love the way they're always introducing it to their richest customers only. Right. Right. Only the rich are allowed to get richer. But uh, welcome to the party, Singapore. Yeah. All right. And um, the last one here is Dubai. Um, Luxury resort. Palazzo Versace Dubai now accepts Bitcoin. So um, this is another one of these high ticket item luxury brands announcing that they're going to accept uh, Bitcoin. This is going to be in a partnership with uh, Binance. Um, 
which I thought that was interesting. I don't know that we've talked about a, a Binance supported um, Bitcoin acceptance. I think we've talked about Binance doing other things that were more generic crypto or BNB token focused, but uh, that they are um, that they're going to be working with uh, with this resort to to allow them to accept Bitcoin. Yeah, this this article to me is a little different than some of the other resorts that accept Bitcoin because you can pay for things on the property with Bitcoin through the Binance app. So I try to book a room with us today and yeah. um, you can't book a room with Bitcoin. But um, and they even said that the, they they plan to launch the online payment integration later. But mm -hmm. I always like to check and see if it's there. But you can pay for things on site. So if we want to think about it, so sort of like a smaller microcosm of like the El Salvador economy, you can go into this resort and you can use your Binance app and pay for massages and meals, I guess, and whatever else they have on that property using your Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen that where someone using this Binance app to do that. Yeah, we've actually seen the opposite in a sense where, you know, we have a lot of articles about uh, sports arenas accepting payments for tickets in crypto, but, mm -hmm. you know, you, they're not selling hot dogs and beers using the Binance app, you know, or, or, paying with lightning network so this is kind of the uh, inverse of that where um they're rolling out the on-premise uh the uh concessions if you will before right. they're rolling out the, the the tickets right so the other ones there you know most of these places are just using bitpay even some of the luxury brands the mm -hmm. luxury watches all they did was add bitpay payment rails to their checkout there's nothing wrong with that this they didn't add the BitPay payment rails. However, they're using this Binance app. Mm -hmm. So um, that's new. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, yeah. Well, the um, couple other things I was going to mention, there were, um, there were a couple of things we didn't talk about today. The first one was um, there was a White House report that came out last week about um, cryptocurrency and energy and basically a response to the executive order that, that came out earlier this year. And um, I think we're going to do a separate discussion on that. Uh, we both want to take the opportunity to really digest it and be able to, uh, to analyze it and give our feedback on it. But uh, we know that that was news this week and we, we weren't ready to talk about it yet. So that's, that'll come. It's going to take a, a lot of effort to go through there and kind of pick apart what they got right and what they got wrong. And we know it's a bit of both. Yep. That, well, that, and, and actually if there's anything just initially that I thought was positive about it was that it wasn't all negative. Yeah, I, I don't know how that plays out. I don't. I don't have a lot of experience in this area to understand what um, you know what these reports have looked like in the past. This would be the first one I've ever read, and um, you know the government usually gets things wrong, more or less. So uh, I, I think we're going to go in there and, and really in depth and, and pick apart 
the important pieces of that and, and do that in a later show, if not the yeah. next show. I would like to do that. So, all right, what else? I think it was a big week. I think it was a really interesting week. Uh, I know when I saw the Fidelity news, I sent it to you as soon as I saw it, and you'd seen it like an hour or two before right. me, and and we both knew that, that was kind of came out of nowhere. Um, we certainly didn't see that on the horizon, which just shows you just how little you know about what's really going on, that these things, you know, we talked about in the past when these these big financial institutions and big companies get involved in anything, it takes them months and months and months of meetings and hand wringing and planning and absolutely so many, so many roadblocks and hurdles to get through. And yet people think they know what's, what's really happening and what's going on in the community. And all of a sudden you get this announcement that, I'd right. never heard any rumblings about it. I didn't know anything and I didn't see any, I didn't see any people on, uh, online today sort of spiking the ball and saying, I told you this was coming. Sure. Just, uh, it was sort of a, just a wow from everybody. And so that also means that there are other things like this going on that we don't know about. Now, one of the, one of the things I think we try and do with these shows is to try to get a real sense of where is Bitcoin? What's really going on with Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption? And that's, we've said before, just a, both a, a positive front and a negative front. Um, certainly, I would say in a lot of ways you could argue on the negative front would be the Bitcoin price right now. I think a lot of people are feeling that. I think there's some number of metrics you can use, how many what percent of people are underwater, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it's 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 clearly been a, sort of a universally accepted that we're in a bear market or a crypto winner, whatever you want to call it. Right. But so the price would be a bad thing. And if you want to focus on that, then I don't know how much, how, what kind of good that does for you. The, the, re, the reality is, is that the macroeconomic outlook and the infrastructure and the adoption is not slowing down. It's and it's changing very rapidly. Oh yeah. So the, the amount of money being poured into the the space is just astonishing. There's tons of investments being made um, in all kinds of companies, not just you know mining and exchanges and and wallet companies or whatever. There's all kinds of things happening behind the scenes that. Um, some, if you get really into it, you can learn about it. Some of it, we won't know about it until it happens. No, but it, it almost seems to me that the big institutions are recognizing that this is not a fad, right? This isn't a, this isn't a goof. This is a serious thing and it's been, they've all ignored it. Let's be serious. If you're an institution, if you're Fidelity or Schwab, you're getting into this digital asset and this exchange now. You're getting into it. You haven't even launched yet, and that's it's September 2022. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell me that if they had a time machine and could go backwards, that they wouldn't have started up the exchange in 2016. Schwab was just done on their own. Sure, Schwab would have tried to push out Coinbase or whatever, they would have been a more reputable institution. 
Who knows what they would have done, but they would have loved to have had that market share all this time. Absolutely. So what it tells you is that they've been on the sidelines. They've been waiting and waiting. And even that article from Schwab, we talked about how they had this pent up demand, which I thought was really an unusual thing to see in a press release mm -hmm. from a financial institution. Uh, kind of more of a legacy financial institution adopting digital assets. It's a weird thing, you know, for them to admit that our customers really want in. Yeah. And they're not just saying that they wouldn't just come out and say, Oh, our customers really want it. I mean, their, their customers really want it. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, we don't know the numbers. They know their metrics. We don't know those, but we're seeing all these things happen. And then I, I think, and maybe this is just my optimistic outlook that in like 2024 and maybe sometime before that we're going to see like the i'm going to call it the great realization maybe that's the wrong term for it i just made that up right now which is that people are going to realize that one, Bitcoin works. So two years from now, it'll be three years in El Salvador. You're going to see lots more adoption over the next two years because sure. th there's very little downside for small areas and small jurisdictions to adopt it. It's sort of only a positive for them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot they can benefit from it. But that we have the halving, which I think is going to be right around March, April 2024. Yeah. We don't know exactly. Um, but, but around that time. So what are we? We're about a year and a half away. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah, And at that halving, Bitcoin stock to flow ratio doubles and it becomes, it, it has at that point, double the stock to flow ratio of gold. Yeah, And I don't know where other countries are going to be coming along with the, the CBDCs. And I'd like to make a correction for something I said last week. I said CBDC was central bank digital coin at central bank digital currency. Regardless, it's just this digital central bank money that the that they can control. And, and that money might be a huge benefit for Bitcoin. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. We were talking about earlier that Bitcoin's hard to understand. Okay. And I get it. I mean, it's. I think the more you study it, the more you realize it's even deeper than you thought on a number of levels. Yeah, I agree. But here's an easy, quick way that I think regular people could understand Bitcoin. There's money the government can control and stop you from spending. And there's money that the government cannot control and stop you from spending. The money they control, they give you in like social security payments or EBT cards or whatever government UBI, whatever the government wants to hand out. But they can turn this money on and off. And they can restrict what you can buy with it. Maybe you have an EBT card and you want to buy... You know, 80% 80, 80 of your, your checkout is Oreos. They're just not <laughs> going to allow it. Who knows? Maybe you can only spend X percent at a liquor store. I don't know. X I don't know how that system works that much. But, but it's censorable. It's censorable money. And so I could see where 18 months from now, you have this money with that highest stock to flow, double the stock to flow of gold, which means it's, it's twice as scarce as gold. And they're not making more of it. And in the future... There's even less being made. 
And that's going to decline by half every four years. And so you have this, this concept where people kind of wake up like, what is Bitcoin? Oh, I've heard about it. It's kind of everywhere. I mean, all the banks are into it. I can get Bitcoin at almost any bank I go to and almost any ATM I go to, to some degree. And all these different countries accept it. And it's the money that's not censorable. And it kind of goes up in value. Like there, there is an increase because when you do have that asset that, that has the highest stock to flow in the world, it comes with a certain something, you know, meaning it, it comes with certain types of, of value because of its scarcity. Yeah. So I cut out there for a minute. My, I don't know what happened. My network crashed for a second, but um, so I didn't hear the last few seconds we were saying, but it's just that I'll hear, gonna, it. I'll hear it whenever we you, play it. You have scarcity. You're going to have increased scarcity that yeah. people understand and money that it's can't gonna be become censored. more scarce. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that people at that point will say, well, I want some of that. And you know what's great about it? I can get it at Schwab. I can get it at Bank of America. If I live in Singapore, I can get it at what, whatever the Singapore bank's name is. I think uh, uh, didn't PNB in France, they were offering Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, so you're going to see globally that you have all the big banks and these are this is for the kind of the rich Western countries where they have banks, you know, all the banks will have it and all the trading platforms will have it. It's going to be pretty mm -hmm. ubiquitous and it doesn't take that long for it to become ubiquitous on all these platforms because we can read the articles now and see they're all planning it. They're right. all implementing it. So and where then, are we in, in 18 yeah. to 24 months? Well, more. Right. And not just that, but now you're starting to build on top of that, the ability to actually use it to buy things um, for, you know, when you look at the growth of the lightning network and the capacity that it has to handle transactions, um, the rate that that's growing is just, you know, pretty astonishing. And as that continues to grow and people accumulate Bitcoin, but now need to spend it, that's going to be the way for them to be able to do that. So there's, it's not just, you know, the base layer of, of Bitcoin. Um, that is one data point, just like the price is one data point. Um, but the lightning network is another really uh, important aspect of it. And as we see that growing in at the same rate, you know, even if it can, it's going to level off eventually, but you know, right now the, the growth rates in lightning are just off the charts. Yeah. And uh, that's something else I'd like to talk about in a future episode is the effect that El Salvador has had on the Lightning Network. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a real, there's a real impact there. All right, Matt, anything else? Um, I think that's it for me. Great. Uh, can you tell people where they can find us, please? Absolutely. Um, you can find us on the internet at btcbutlers.com. You can email us info at btcbutlers.com. Our Twitter is at btcbutlers and our DMs are open. Um, if you enjoyed this, like Michael said at the beginning, please subscribe, like, download, tell your friends. Um, if you have comments or questions about any topics or articles that we discuss, feel free to drop them in the, in the comments or to reach out to us. And then on top of that, uh, Bitcoin Butlers is ready and waiting to help you uh, implement best practices as a Bitcoin owner, whether that's buying your Bitcoin, storing your Bitcoin, 
setting up a retire an inheritance plan for your Bitcoin, owning it through a retirement account, all of these things uh, we are able to help you with. And we would love to hear from you if those are things that you're interested in uh, pursuing. And uh, we will see you next time. Thank you, Matt. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.